morning, everyone. If you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, we'll start in this part of the Bible. We'll move around a little bit uh, throughout this time. But uh, you'd be in the right place if you open there to Exodus 18. It's good to see you this morning. We're thankful that we have visitors with us, and we want you to know we're glad you're here. Hope you feel welcome. We'd love to get to know you and talk with you more. And if you have questions or concerns about anything that we're doing or saying... We'd love to chat with you about that, study with you about those things. But thank you for being here. Uh, Exodus chapter 18 is the story of where Moses has a visit from his father-in-law after they emerge from the Red Sea and uh, out of Egypt. It's a happy reunion uh, because Moses' father-in-law brings his wife, and so they're there able to be together again. But as the day passes, it's one of those uh, visits you might have with your in-laws where Uh, You spend the day together, and as the day passes, there is a concern that Moses' father-in-law expresses to him. It's in Exodus 18, beginning in verse 13, that we read this story. It says, Exodus 18, 13, The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Jethro is troubled. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He's troubled, concerned, because he says, what is actually is happening here, Moses? Why are you sitting here all day? And then you've got this giant crowd of people. Sometimes I picture it as a really, really long line of people waiting to see Moses. And they wait all day. Why are, what's going on? And so Moses explains, you know, well, I'm going to God on their behalf. I need to explain God's law. Sometimes they have an argument. But, you know, I've got to take care of everything. And so they just wait on me. And so Jethro says something I want us to hear because... This is, while we might take this as a rebuke, I think really it's a statement of, Moses, I'm concerned about you. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. I want to say that the problem Moses demonstrates here is something that we still struggle with. Because we all have tasks that are our tasks, things that are responsibilities that are uniquely ours, that you can't do for me and I can't do for you. But sometimes the responsibilities we have are too much for us alone. And so if we keep trying to do those things all on our own, we will, in the words of Jethro, wear ourselves out. The thing is too heavy for us. We cannot do it alone. So I want to think for a few minutes this morning about how we can learn to share the load. I'm really talking about this morning when I talk about sharing the load, not really so much the idea that we need to go help other people, but I'm talking about from the perspective as we are the ones like Moses who need to learn to let our pride go a little bit and let other people help us because that was where Moses was. Moses needed to loosen up and let others help him to share his load. And so as we talk this morning, I want you to be thinking about what responsibilities you have that are uniquely yours. 
I want you to think about family responsibilities. I want you to think about work responsibilities. I want you to think about spiritual and church responsibilities. And I want you to think about how in all of those things, you have certain things that are yours, but if you take them all at once, they can be overwhelming. And it might be that you need to learn to share the load. And what we're going to do to study through this is I want to look at three stories in the Bible that show this same pattern, and then I want us to draw some conclusions from what we've studied. So in this story, which as you can see, there's an issue Jethro brings up to Moses. He sees Moses work all day long. He sees the people standing around. He says, this is not good. So what he does is give a suggestion. Look in verse 19 of Exodus 18. Exodus 18, 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." So what we learn here is this, it's not a new thing for in-laws to give advice. Jethro gives advice. He says, here's what I'm going to recommend. First, he says, you need to do some mass teaching. You see that there in verse uh, 20. Warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk. So you need to do some teaching because a lot of these things, you don't have to teach person by person. You can teach everybody. Everybody learns something. And then they don't have to keep coming to you over and over again to figure out what does God want. So that's part of it. But then he says, you need to have some other people help you. Verse 21 says, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such people over the people as chief of, ten, of thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens. So go find some people who you know you can trust and let them do the work in smaller and smaller increments and work through that system. And then he says, they will bear the burden with you. Now, this is brilliant advice, and Moses immediately adopts it. You might recognize this advice as the basic structure of the judicial system in most modern nations, that we have small courts, and then they, you know, there are appeals and things. So only the toughest, hardest decisions go up all the way to Supreme Courts. And that idea stems from Jethro's advice here in the desert. So part of the wisdom here is to acknowledge that Moses has a special role that nobody else can duplicate. But Moses, if he spends all his time with all the smaller things, he can't do his special role. He'll wear himself out, and everybody's got to wait on him to do even the small things. So if he shares the load, he can focus on the things that are his strength and his forte. And part of the wisdom here is about acknowledging that every single person has limits, that all of us have something that that we can do this, but we can't do more than this. This is the limit of what we can do. And Jethro is worried about him. It reminds us there is more to us than work. And Moses needs to consider more than just what the people need. He also has to think about himself and the fact that he will wear himself out as well as wear out the people. All right, so that's story number one. Let's look at Numbers chapter 11. I'll show you the second one. Numbers 11. This is a little further down the line where the people are in the desert. We're still talking about Moses 
and sharing the load, but it seems a little less that Moses is reluctant to share the load and, and more that he needs some help. So what's happening in Numbers 11 is that the people start to complain. In this text, they are complaining about food and they want more meat and the menu is always manna, manna, manna. Every day it's manna. And so they say, we want more food. And so when they complain which they do repeatedly, but in this time, when they complain, Moses snaps. And he snaps at God, not at the people. Look in Numbers 11 and verse 10. It says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Moses is upset. You can hear it. And he's mad at God. I mean, there's no other way to sugarcoat that. He says, God, you, you have put me in this position, and it's too much. I can't do it. So Moses hears the complaining of the people as complaining against him. And very often it is against him. Very often they're saying, let's get a new leader and go back to Egypt. Uh, we, we're tired of Moses, or when he's on the mountain, we don't know what's become of Moses. Whatever it is, they don't like Moses because Moses doesn't always do what they want him to do. But what is Moses supposed to do when the people say, give us meat that we may eat? I mean, what can you do? Moses can't make meat appear. And so he hears that complaining as complaining against him. He goes to God and says, look, these people are driving me crazy, and you gave the responsibility of this to me. If you're going to do this to me, just go ahead and kill me. I'd rather die. Now, it might be that Moses is being a little dramatic. I think he's probably emotional. He's getting carried away. But you get the idea. He says specifically in verse 14, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Now, God doesn't rebuke Moses for what he is saying to him. Look at what he does. He helps him. In verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Drop down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among the registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So what does God do in response to Moses' frustration? Moses, he says, you, you call some men out 
And then God takes his spirit. I do think we're talking Holy Spirit here. And he puts the Holy Spirit on these 70 men. And in fact, there are some others, Eldad and Medad, who are also prophesying, even though they're not a part of the 70. So I think what's happening is that Moses is really concerned about, and God is concerned about, the need for more spiritual instruction for the people. And so he says, Moses, there's no way he can do all of this. But if we have some men that everyone respects, 70 is a good number of men to help. He says, if we can have that, then maybe this will help him bear the burden. And I love how that, that reason I read that last little story about Eldad and Medad and Joshua. Joshua comes and he says, Moses, there are guys prophesying. This is not good. Joshua is thinking, if everybody's prophesying, then Moses might lose his position, his authority. People might not think so much of Moses. And Moses says, look, I could use the help. I'm not worried about, you know, are you jealous for my sake? I'm not worried about it. I wish everybody could prophesy. I mean, because then I wouldn't have the same burden that I have now. I think that's Moses' perspective here. So here's the point. God answers Moses' burden by helping him share the load. God gives him help. And it's not just spiritual help. He gives him real human help. There are other people who can help you carry this burden. And so Moses has to be able and willing to share the load. That last bit where Moses says, I wish everybody was helping, is where Moses is saying, I'm ready to share the load. I'm willing to do that. All right, the third story is in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. This is a story of the early days of the Jerusalem church. And an issue arises that has to be dealt with and that will involve learning, especially by the apostles, learning to share the load of church work. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is an accusation of ethnic discrimination that our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. However, they were feeding or giving money to the the widows on a regular basis. The Hellenistic widows were being neglected. At this point, there don't seem to be elders in the Jerusalem church. So we don't see any evidence of that at this point in, in history. So instead, the apostles seem to be making all the decisions. But the apostles have a full plate. They cannot take any more on. And so they don't feel like they can take this complaint on too. Look in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There is a clear statement of priority. There are actually two in this text. The first is, it's not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Leave the word of God, serve tables. Now, I wonder if that doesn't sound insulting to these widows. You know, hey, it's not right. We're not going to leave what we're doing, which is way more important, and take care of your problem. I wonder if it wasn't insulting, at least in their ears. But it's not intended to be insulting. Sometimes we have to say, what I'm doing is what I need to be doing. And so I cannot take this on. And if that insults someone, it's not because I can't do it, won't do it. 
It's because instead I've got things that are a pressing priority. The other priority statement is there in verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. In other words, we're not going to leave them to fend for their own problem because we are lazy and we're just putting our feet up. No, we've got work we will be doing and we're going to devote ourselves to that good work. So what they do is encourage the church to pick out seven men who are trustworthy. Kind of sounds like the uh, Moses example. Trustworthy and These are the men who can take care of these types of needs. It seems to be the first time that we have something like a deacon in the New Testament church. And so these men are going to serve in that way. Verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A couple of notes here. These men have Greek names, which implies that they are at least a part of the same ethnic group that was being neglected. And I think that's a stroke of genius, by the way, where the church says, you know what, if there's an accusation of discrimination, let's put people that we know everybody would be okay with and we know there wouldn't be any discrimination against that group and let them be in charge of it. And so they do. But suddenly, we have seven men who step forward. Seven men who now take on a role that they did not have before. Seven men, two of whom are are very well known and become prominent in the New Testament story. In fact, Stephen is going to become prominent imminently. But Philip as well is going to become a, a major factor. These two men at least have some beginning in that direction because the apostles are willing to share the load. We can't do all of this. Now, they probably could have tried, but they say, no, I mean, we've got a a huge group of Christians here. Surely someone else can handle this problem. And so they do. Luke also points out that the complaint does not derail the work. It says in verse 7, the word of God continued to grow because it was handled well. So, three stories. I hope you see they kind of read the same way. you got a problem. Usually the problem is we've got too many responsibilities and we have to learn that other people can help us and we have to be able to relinquish the load. So, what do we learn here? First of all, we learn that I need to turn this on. There we go. We can't do it all. We can't do it all. All of these stories show the limits of our ability. Jethro says to Moses, you will surely wear yourselves out. You cannot bear the burden. The load is too heavy for me, Moses says to God. It's not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, which, by the way, implies we're going to do one or the other. We can't leave the one to do the other. We cannot do it all. They can't do all the things. Brethren, we can't do everything. There is a persistent myth in our culture. I do a lot of reading and productivity stuff and in business stuff. And and there is just this myth in all these books that you can do everything. You can make it all happen. You can be a high achiever at your work. And you can work 80-hour weeks. And then you can also have this incredible family life where you are in a happy marriage, where you're constantly with each other, but you also are a great parent. And you're able to be at all your children's activities, you know, do all the traveling teams, be everywhere, take them everywhere. Yes, you can do it all. But you can also be in incredible physical shape. You know, you can exercise all the time. Oh, but, but also don't forget to eat right. 
which means you're going to have you know, great expenses that you're going to have to do to, to prep and plan for the meals, and then you're going to have to take the time to plan the meals. Somewhere you'll find that time because you can do it all. But you can also have a great social life. Don't forget about that. Important to have friends. Sometimes you just got to hang out, right? Relax. Always got to be available for that. So you could do that too. But you can also have a great spiritual life. Don't forget that. You know, constantly reading the Bible, available for people when they need you, always ready to come to church, serve other people in the church. Don't forget your daily devos. We've got to read those. You can do it all. You can do it all. You can do it all. Usually what ends up happening is that we just end up feeling overwhelmed by all of it and then feel really guilty about the parts of our life that we don't get around to, whatever it may be. We try to do it all, and we fail miserably. And usually what we're told then is, you know, if you just arranged your time better, if you just worked harder, you could do it all. I want to remind you, we are limited. We are just people, and we have to make decisions where we're going to have to say, these are the things that are most important. I'm going to focus on those. And here in these stories, you see what it is like to reach the limit of what you can do. Some decisions are going to have to be made and something's going to have to give. I thought a lot this week about why it is we struggle with sharing the load. Have you noticed that in yourself? That reluctance maybe to ask for help? That reluctance to say, you know what, somebody else can do this? I've thought a lot about that, but I think most of the answers I gave to that question and came up with to that question have to do with pride. We don't like to share the load because we're proud. We want to do it all. We want to do it all. Maybe that's because we think other people are not going to quite do it the right way. If I give it up and I give control of this area of my life or area of my work up, they're going to do a bad job. Or maybe it's because I want the acclaim that comes when I do it all. So that you can look at me and say, wow, that Jacob, look at all he's done. Look at what he just keeps on top of it all. Or maybe it's because I'm too proud to ask for help, thinking that it would lower me in the eyes of other people. Sometimes we have that, you know, well, I don't want to be the one asking for charity. And so we say, you know what, I can't do that. But all of those are just ultimately about pride. So I think we need to be able to say this. I can't do it all. I have to choose. I need help. The second thing I think we learn here is that we can focus on our strengths and gifts. When we share the load, these stories show us that other things can come into focus and that we can get sharper. We can start thinking about what's most important and we can start thinking about what it is we do well, our strengths and our gifts. Moses has to do that. Moses' unique role, really the most unique thing about Moses, I guess most unique is a little redundant, but the the special thing about Moses is that he can go to God about things that other people, they don't know that they're going to get a response from God. And really, when you boil it down, other people can make decisions about things, other people can teach the law, but Moses has this one unique thing. So Moses needs help to supplement all those other things that he can do, but that other people can do too. Or here are the apostles. Their unique role is best used when they are preaching and praying. It is not best when they are serving tables, which other people can do. So let's, let's think about that and think about ourselves. So if I am a parent, one of the unique strengths and gifts of my role as a mother or a father is that I am a mother and a father 
in a way that no one else can be. Nobody else, no matter what happens, can do mothering, fathering for me. But, but, but elements of parenting that I can share. Picking up the kids, watching the kids, maybe coaching the kids, maybe teaching the kids some things about what they need to know. That's a load I can share. I don't have to do all of those things to be a father. Instead, I can say, what's the thing that's most important? And then other things I can say, well, you know what? I may need to share some of that load. If I'm a worker, maybe it's that I have a unique set of gifts that I can then say, you know what? Other people can do some of these things. This is really where I excel, and I can share some of my workload. I know that that will be different based, depending on what we do and how our, our work system works, but it's at least something to consider. Am I doing things and using my energy and time in things that are not really my value as a worker? If I'm a spiritual worker, I can focus on my strengths and gifts. For example, we have elders here. And elders have as their work to oversee the flock and shepherd the flock, the spiritual need and the state of the flock. Their role is not to do the physical things, the logistical tasks of the church, like the budget, like getting people rides, like taking care of the building. Those are things that are not primarily about the spiritual welfare of the church. Their primary role is to take care of people's souls so they can share the load and let other people do the things that are not as much focused on the spiritual work. There are going to be spiritual tasks like that that we might be tempted to take on, but when we learn to share the load, we focus on what are my strengths and my gifts. So, for example, if we're gifted with being able to organize, some of us are and some of us most certainly are not, or if we're gifted with being more artistic or creative, or we're gifted with being able to do more physical labor, then what we can do is say, this is where I excel. And maybe there are some opportunities for other things that I'm going to let pass and let other people do, but I'm going to focus on the things that I excel in. But what we're really talking about here is a kind of sifting of priorities. And I really think this is where we're weak. We don't like to sift priorities. We're kind of like Moses where you just got the long line of people and we just say, you start the day, well, I'll just do all these tasks. I'll just do them all. Some of them are small, some of them are big, some of them are important, some of them are not. I'll just do them all. Instead of learning to sift what matters and how we're living our lives and using our energy. Everything can feel like a priority. Everything can feel urgent. But sharing the load means we look for ways to say, some of this other people can help me with. And some of this is, is what I need to do. Now, I need to say something here Um, as a word of caution. When we talk about sharing the load, that's not an excuse for pride or laziness. I am not saying that I call on you to help me because I'm too good to do the work that I have to do. And I don't want to be troubled with it. Uh, There's kind of a joke that goes around in our family because I, uh, I was with a preacher at one point who I was in his office and he squashed a roach in his office. And then he walked away and left it there on the ground. And he said, the guy that, that cleans the building, he'll pick that up. And I, he just left it there, a roach. And I thought, can we not pick up the roach? Really? Is this what we're doing? Now it's kind of a joke because he was, he was being a little silly. But at the same time, I don't want to leave a roach on the ground because I'm too good to pick it up. Oh, no, that's not my gift. 
We can do work. And this is not an excuse for pride or just be lazy or just to leave stuff lying around. I am saying it's one thing to ask for help and say, this is too much for me. It's another thing to say, I'm just too good to do that. But on the other hand, having said that, I want to say asking for help is not lazy. That's not the same thing. And sometimes I think that's where we struggle. And we say, you know what? I'm supposed to do all of this. I would be lazy if I asked anybody to help me. So the question is, what is God's plan for our work, for our families, for our church? Is God's plan for me to do everything? Or is God's plan for us to all work together to help one another and to share the load? Third thing, we can help others grow and serve. We know this passage. Bear one, you knew it would come up too with, after you saw the guy with the boxes, right? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens. But how can we bear other people's burdens if they're not willing to share them? And how can other people bear our burdens if we won't share them? In some way, we are limiting what other people can do for us when we won't relinquish some of the control we have. Have you noticed that when Moses relinquishes his stranglehold on the work, suddenly we have a whole system of judges over all these different levels. Suddenly we have 70 people who have the spirit. Suddenly we have seven new deacon-type people. Suddenly we have other people who are not only involved in the work, now they can grow and they can serve in a new way. When Jesus is feeding the 5,000 or is about to feed the 5,000, you remember how he asks Philip, where are we going to get food so that all these can eat? And it says he asked him this to test him. I think even for a moment to share that load where, where Jesus says, hey, Philip, think about it. What are you going to do? It helps Philip to grow, to think in a different way about his work and how he can serve and follow Jesus. So I can say this from experience. Christian people want to serve. They want to. I know they do. I have experienced it time and again. They are excited when we offer them opportunities to serve. The only thing that needs to happen is that we need the willingness to lower ourselves and ask for help. That's it. We need to share the load. This is how we help the next generation grow and thrive. We share the load. And I can also say this from experience. One of the best ways to build relationships with other people is to ask them to help you. And when you ask them to help, they are willing to help. And suddenly, on a deeper level, we know and appreciate one another. And the final thing I want to say on this is that we can learn to trust other people. One of our hesitations about sharing the load is that, that we think and we fear that other people won't do it as well as we do. I think of my kids, you know. I want my kids to learn how to do the dishes. But I know I need the help, but I've seen them do the dishes. And sometimes I just wonder, okay, is it even worth it? Why don't I just do the dishes? I'll just take care of it. You know what? I, I know it's a heavy load for me, but it's just easier this way. Sometimes we need to remember it's not about what's easier right now as much as getting over our preoccupation with doing everything and then allowing others to help us. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Paul wants Timothy, find more faithful men and teach them so they can teach others, so they can teach others, so they can teach others. Share the work. And Paul lived by that. Over and over again, Paul is finding other men to share the work with him. He always has somebody. He's got a Timothy or a Silas or a Titus or a John Mark or a Demas. Over and over again, he's got guys that he is trying to develop and share the work with. And sometimes he gets burned, doesn't he? Sometimes it doesn't go well. But just because people might flake out 
just because people might not help doesn't mean that we shouldn't share the load. We need to learn to trust people. And one of the ways that happens is by sacrificing part of what we do. So I appreciate your attention. I want to encourage you to share the load. Remember, you can't do it all. And think about how you can give others that opportunity. I appreciate your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.